Evening. Lovely to see you all again. Nice to be back. Ooh. <laughs> Suddenly. Right, thank you. It's great to be with you again. Lovely to be back. If you don't know me, I know looking around, I do know the majority, I think. But if you don't, I grew up here just a few years ago. <laughs> and uh, mum and dad were here. And we, uh, so, you know, my formative years as a Christian were here in church on at Sunbury Road Mission. Now I'm getting on to church on the way straight away. And so praise God that um, we're able to fellowship together and continue to share together tonight. I'm going to continue the studies that you're going through. So we're going to read. Sorry? It certainly is. I think so. Can you not hear me? Sorry. So I'm going to read Judges 13. We're going to try... The challenge is Judges 13 and 14. I think time will defeat us, but we're going to at least read through chapter 13 and hopefully get into chapter 14 as well as we continue the study through the book of Judges. So let's read it together. I'm, I'm reading the New King James, but if you haven't got it, Ian has, so you'll be able to follow it on the screen if, if necessary. So starting at verse 1 of Judges chapter 13, it says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. I don't know how I'd cope if my wife came home and said that to me, but we'll see as we go along there, man of faith. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and he followed his wife. When he came to the man, he spoke. He said to him, are you the man who spoke this to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine. Nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. 
Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, and he offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. And nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanedan between Zorah and Eshtiel. Okay, what an amazing passage of scripture. Many of us, I'm sure, have come across the story of the birth of Samson. I'm just going to take us through and share some thoughts and... Um, uh, pray that God will really just minister to each one of our hearts as we both read the word and as we study it together and um, that his word will find good ground in our hearts. Just looking at that opening verse, it said, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So if you've been following the, the studies right through Judges, you'll have seen that verse on a number of occasions. This is the seventh time that the children of Israel disobeyed the Lord and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this time the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This was the longest time of all the times of their disobedience that they'd been under the authority of another people. In this case, the Philistines. And it, it shows um, a hardening of the heart of the children of Israel. And, and there's a real warning to us in this. And, and that's why I pray, you know, as, as we hear God speaking to us, that, that we respond to what he's saying. Because the children of Israel cried out to God several times. And they responded when God brought them back. But soon they disobeyed again and went their own way. You know, they went through a cycle, didn't they? They forsook the Lord and they served the gods of Canaan. So God delivered them into the hand of their enemies to judge them and to bring them back, to bring them to that place of repentance. Then they cried out to the Lord for help. Then God, in his mercy, raised up a deliverer and set them free. And, and, and in, just in that 
little synopsis alone, we see the incredible mercy of God and the patience of God in his dealings with his people. You know, how good God is with us, isn't he? How merciful God is in his dealings with us. How often do I fall short? And yet God, in his mercy, when I cry out to him because I've messed up, does he forgive? Does he bring me back into fellowship with him? Does he restore as though I'd never sinned? That's the, you know, the wonderful thing about God. We come to him in salvation and we are set free from our sins, all our past sins. But if we confess our sins and, fit and, and ask his forgiveness, he's faithful and just also to forgive us, to cleanse us again as though we'd never sinned and to restore us back completely to the relationship we had before. God doesn't hold anything against us. He restores us back to the relationship we had before we'd sinned. How amazing is that, that God would love us? We spoke of God's love just a few minutes ago, that that love would be demonstrated in such a real way and a personal way in our lives, that his mercy would forgive us and restore us into fellowship with the God who we said at the outset is infinite, the sovereign Lord, the creator God, the one who holds all things in the palm of his hands, the one who is self-sufficient, the one who is omnipresent, who is omniscient, who is omnipotent. He is incredibly great and yet personal to you and I such that he will forgive and restore and reach out to us the minute that we cry out to him. How great is our God and how important it is that we respond to him and we look to him. You know, God had told the children of Israel right back years before to wipe out the nations that were in the land. God was judging them for their sinfulness. He'd said hundreds of years earlier to Abraham that he would judge them for their sins when the fullness of their iniquity was complete. But the children of Israel failed to drive them all out. And time after time, they dragged them back into sin because the children of Israel had not driven out the nations before them. They started to worship their idols again because they'd been disobedient to the Lord. And, and again, for us personally, God is, is encouraging us to really put to death that old life and to, to put away forever those things that would cause us to, to sin and to fall short of his glory, those things that would tempt us to go astray, to run away from them, to flee from them, that we might be with him, that we might be in fellowship with him. But that's a first thought for us as we, as we look at this. The Philistines, uh, just a quick, a quick thought. The Philistines came to the land. They're not originally from the land of Canaan. They came from the Greek Asia Minor area. They were from the area around the Aegean Sea. They came down around, around about 1200 BC to fight against Egypt. But they were defeated by the Egyptians in battle and ended up settling in the southwest of Canaan in the land of Israel. And um, it, it's interesting to me because they became such a thorn in the side of Israel. Um, just, they, they weren't really, they weren't a nation of people, they were five cities. They were a, a conglomerate of cities together, Gath, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron, five cities that the Philistines held and, and they caused chaos in Israel raiding across into the land of Judah and attacking the cities of Israel and, and seeking to bring them down. And it, and it just struck me that 
whenever we step out, you know, God had called these people to step out into the promised land. But whenever we do, it's challenged. And, we st- and Israel stepped out and they were taking the land. But the enemy doesn't give in easily. And the Philistines were found in the land and they, they'd started, they dwelt in the land and they grew in the land and became a real thorn in Israel's flesh. And, and I just want to encourage you with that thought that when you step out for God, when God challenges and says, step out and do this, go see this person, go pray with this person, do this. There's always challenge when God is asking us to step out of him, when God's asking us to trust him and, and go out on a limb and trust in God rather than in ourselves and, and rather than do things that only we can control, actually trust God that he will work, the enemy always tries to challenge. And sometimes you look at it and you think, why did I do this? Why did I step out? I must have made the wrong decision. But no, there's just a challenge comes from the enemy, but God is in control. Remember Moses when God called him at the burning bush and he went to Pharaoh and he said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go that they might worship me. And Pharaoh increased the labor on them. He took away the straw that they were using to make the bricks. He made the children of Israel's life incredibly difficult. They were under slavery beforehand, but he made it even harder for them when Moses took that step of faith in the Lord. And the children of Israel said, Moses, what have you done? What a crazy decision. We should never have done this. But God was in control. And God delivered them and set them free and brought them out of Egypt. And and sometimes it feels like that for us, doesn't it? We take that step of faith and and it just seems like chaos around us. Everything seems to go wrong. Trust God. Trust God because he's in it and he's working for us. So as we, as we move on, we, we, we then have this picture from verses 2 through to 8 of, um, this is a, uh, a visit of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a theophany, a pre-incarnation visit of the Lord Jesus to earth to minister to this woman. And we, we don't know her name. She's just referred to as the wife of Manoah, as the woman But the Lord Jesus leaves the glory of heaven to come and meet with this woman. And he understands and knows exactly what her situation is. He knows that she's barren. He comes to her and he says to her, look, I know you're barren. I know you've got no children. But you're going to give birth to a son. And I just find this incredible. We, we started tonight with the majesty of God, as we've said. But now we see also how personal God is and how interested God is in, in everything about our lives. He's not someone who's miles away and, you know, ruling the galaxies and just not interested in what's happening here in, in sunny Bradford. But he is a God who is personal and real and sees what we're facing and what we're going through in our lives and he's quick to come and help and minister to our lives do you remember hagar the servant of of sarah and she was she was cast out by sarah sarah made a mistake she was trying to help god um give abraham a son so that his seed could 
fill the earth as God had promised he would do. And so when Sarah failed, couldn't do that, she sent her servant in to Abraham or Abraham into her servant. And Abraham lay with her and she conceived. And, and when she conceived, Sarah was really bitter because it, it showed Sarah just how, in a sense, how inadequate she felt and how she'd failed. And so Hagar, were, she just despised her and hated her. And so she kicked her out. She was awful to her and Hagar ran away. And Hagar was running away and God came to Hagar. And again, it's the angel of the Lord who came to, to Hagar. And in Genesis 16, um, as God spoke to her and encouraged her and said to her, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the father of many descendants. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless him and bless him and his seed through that. And Hagar says to him in Genesis 16, verse 13, she says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also seen him? Who sees me? And, and Hagar recognized that God had come to her. And he saw what she was facing and he saw, he saw how she was feeling and, and how she was lost and, and really didn't know where to go and was wondering. And God met her just where she was at that moment in time. We just mentioned Moses. In Exodus 3, 7 and 8, when God met Moses at the burning bush, it says, And the Lord said, this is God speaking to Moses, He said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from there to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, it's the same thought, isn't it? God sees. I don't know what you're facing at this moment in time. I don't know the challenges that are before you, but God does. And God sees those things. And God's interested in those things. And God is ready to come and to set you free and to help you whilst you go through it. Sometimes, you know, we go through it. God doesn't immediately take things away. Sometimes he takes us through it. But if he asks us to go through it, he strengthens us with everything that we need to face whatever that challenge and that trial is before us. But he sees and he knows and he understands our circumstances. Psalm 139 opens with the words, you have, um, what is it? You have searched me and you have known me. You know my thoughts from afar. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You know the thoughts in my mind. You know the words that I'm going to speak before I even speak them. You've hedged me in before and behind. Have you got this up? Because I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> you, you hedged me in before and behind. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Such knowledge is too... And, and, but I want us to try and grasp a little bit of that tonight, that God does know. God does see. God does hear. He hears that cry. Sometimes that cry might just be the cry of the heart, but it's the same noise to God. He hears it just the same as that audible sound. And he knows the thoughts that you have, and he knows the things that you're facing. And he promises that if you put your trust in him, 
that he will help you and he will strengthen you and he will sustain you. And here we see him just wonderfully coming to this woman and to this man. You know, Manoah could have divorced his wife. In those days, in the culture of those days, if, if a wife was barren, you were allowed to divorce her and find another wife who might give you an offspring. But Manoah had stayed true to his wife. And, um, and here we see a couple who love God, who are faithful in God, God coming and meeting them and ministering to their hearts. The infinite love of God, of the God of all comfort, coming down to us, his interest in us. Romans 8, 37 to 39, following on from a list of uh, things that can go wrong, God says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just to really encourage you tonight as we're looking at this passage together, take this very personally. God, is, God came to this woman to meet her at a point of need. And he had a plan and a purpose for her. And God will come to us in just the same way. He is just the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. He comes to his people. He reaches out to his people. He loves us and he wants the best for us. And he just wants us to trust him and to learn to keep trusting in him. He is working in all situations and circumstances to bring about his purpose for good in our lives and you know sometimes we, we had Trevor Knight the other week at um, at church on the way and he, he, he quoted this verse Romans eight twenty eight, and he says he doesn't say all things are good but he says all things work for good for those who love God sometimes the things that God allows in our lives they're not good things they're hard things and the the difficult things for us to face and go through but even through those things God will work for good in our lives as we'd learn to trust him and stand on him. How amazing God is, how incredible God is. And, and here is again, as we look at this, what, what a thing that, that the God of all creation would come and spend time with her and come back again to, to meet her husband. How much God cares, how, how, humble our Lord Jesus is and was when he walked this earth that he would move amongst fallen men that he would minister to the hearts and lives of fallen men and women and bring the love of God to them and, to care, and the care of God to them how much our God loves us and, and therefore what encouragement we can take from that <coughs> As we move on, God also came with a real purpose for this boy that was going to be born. In verse, um, what is it, verse 5, he says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite from, from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So there's two purposes in there, really. One, that his life would be consecrated as a Nazarite unto the Lord. But two, God would begin to deliver his people, Israel, from the Philistines through Samson. 
when he was born. Um, there's a number of examples out there we, in the scriptures of, of women who were barren until God opened the womb and the, and the sons that were born and the purposes that God had called them for and, and the plan that God had for them. So you could go, we, could go, we could go backwards to Sarah, who was unable to produce until God opened her womb and Isaac was born, the son of promise through whom Abraham's seed descended. We could look at Rachel who was barren and Leah was having children and the servants were having children, but Rachel was barren. But then God opened her womb and Joseph was born. And Joseph would wonderfully um, protect his father and the family of Jacob, the nation of Israel, the small nation as it was at that moment in time. Despite going through incredibly difficult situations himself, God put him in a place where ultimately he would protect his family from the famine that was in the land and they would move to Egypt of God's plan and purpose for them. Again, with Joseph, and we maybe refer back to him a little bit later on as we compare him with Samson, if we get to that place. With Hannah, who was barren and, and went up to the, the temple each year and cried out in agony to the Lord, asking God for a son and promising that she would give that son to him if he would only give her a son. And, and he bore Samuel. She bore Samuel, um, one of the great prophets who did a phenomenal work in the nation of Israel, educating, developing the prophetic ministry in Israel and, and leading the people, a phenomenal man of God. And of course, as we come into the New Testament, we have Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. And... One of the lovely things about this, I think, as we look at all these things, is we see that God has a plan. And he has a person that he's going to bring about his plan with. And no one can shake and stop what God has purposed that he will do. He has his people and he has his purposes. And here with Samson, I mean, when we, when we look at Samson and as you look at him next week... Uh, as you continue the study, he's an incredibly complex character, isn't he? He's a really complex character, is Samson. And yet God uses him mightily to bring about his purpose. And God used these others, as we've mentioned, to bring about his purpose. And just, um, you know, sometimes things look quite bleak, don't they? I've stopped watching the news. It just is, it is so depressing. The way that people speak to each other and treat each other and, and, and what's coming out, it, we could feel really sad and, and think, what is happening? What chance is there? What hope is there? But God is sovereign. God is sovereign and his purpose is unshakable. And he will bring about his purpose globally as well as he will bring about his purpose personally in our lives. I've just got a couple of scriptures. Psalm 33, 10 and 11 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. For the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And then in the New Testament, in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, it says, Paul writing says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and on earth in him. Paul's saying God had revealed to him that, that God 
according to his good pleasure and his purpose in his time, his perfect timing, would bring everything together in Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. In him, God will complete the plan of salvation and the purpose he has in this world today. He will bring about his purpose and he will complete it. And nothing can stop that. No one can change that. No one can shake that. You can trust him absolutely to bring about his plan globally. But you can trust him in your life too. Because you see, we don't know what tomorrow brings, do we? You know, I, I can tell you what I think I'm doing tomorrow and what I'm planning to do next week and I can tell you when I'm going on holiday the week after and where I'm planning to go but only if the Lord allows, only if God gives breath, only if it's his plan and his purpose for my life. He's in control. But that's not a frightening thing. That is a wonderful thing. Because whatever challenges you might see out there and whatever difficulties you might see on the horizon, God is sovereign and he's in control in your life. And he will bring about his plan and his purpose in you. And I, I find that uh, just an amazing comfort in, in my own heart and life. You know, sometimes I woke up the other morning and I was worrying or thinking about this and how we're going to work this out and thinking, and, and I just, it's like the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm dealing with things in this part of the world, in that part of the world, in the other part of the world. I'm sustaining and holding the world in place. Don't worry. I'm in control. Rest in me. Look to me and trust in me. And, and God, as he had a purpose for this, for Samson's life, he's working out a purpose for you and for me too, isn't he? Before, as he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nation. Before Manoah was even conceived. Sorry, not Manoah. Before Samson was even conceived. God knew the plan and the purpose he had for him. God knows the plan and the purpose he has for you, still has for you, and he's working out for you. I was in uh, Litchfield yesterday, and um, I'm of that generation where you celebrate birthdays because the big birthdays. And my best man at university <laughs> and his wife are both 60 this year. And so they had a hog roast and invited a lot of the old friends back from university and, and a whole raft of other friends and family that they invited to it. And so we went down to Litchfield to share the day with them. And um, I didn't know Keith until I went to university, but he, he became a really close friend at university, and we both ended up being best men for each other. But, um, you know, the usual thing, we're, we're all 60 now, so we're saying, so what are you doing when you're retiring? What, what's your plan? And, um, and I said, well, actually, I retired two weeks ago. And, um, and I'm not sure just exactly what God is going to do with, with my life for as long as he gives me, but I'm really excited that he's, by his grace, has put me in a position where I can actually retire from work and see what he will do with my life for the rest of the time that he gives me. Because we can trust him, can't we? And, and I'm excited for his purpose for me, and I hope you are for his purpose still for you. Because God, you, you know, you'll be meeting different people this week, and you might be the one 
that speaks that word about Jesus this week that <coughs> triggers that person to say, yeah, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I've, I've heard bits about him from different people, but what you said has just really challenged me and spoken to me. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, and he uses us to reach the lost. I was, I was talking yesterday, and I'm going to be here till I'll... I need to move on, but I was talking to somebody I hadn't seen since Keith and Celia got married, which was 36 years ago, and she loves the Lord, and um, but she's got contacts in Uganda, and she's been out to Uganda, involved in ministry out in Uganda, and, and we're, as, as you are, involved with Uganda, and we're between Hannah Mall and, and people from this fellowship, Teams have been out to Uganda and are getting involved in Uganda. And it was lovely yesterday, you know, just God bringing two people together who hadn't seen each other for 30-odd years. And it just so happens, as you say, that her son and his wife live in Nabwood. But she lives in Liverpool. And she needs, and they're about to give, well, the, the wife is about to have a baby. And Linda's wanting somewhere to stay when she comes over. And, and it was just amazing how God just, you know, brings situations together and and puts and we had a, just a, a glorious hour talking about the Lord and, and what's happening and thinking but then exchanging details and, and options and thinking there might be something we can do together here in the Lord as well as just helping a friend you know because part of our ministry is sharing the love of Jesus in really practical ways isn't it with with those around us that may be what God's wanting to do with you this week but he is a plan a plan and an ongoing purpose for your life. What time do we finish, Pastor Phil? The other, the other thing is consecration. Samson would be a Nazarite and his wife would be, uh, his mother would be a Nazarite from that day when the Lord came to her. She was to, to live a consecrated life. She was not to touch any wine, anything, any fruit of the vine, any grapes, any raisins. She would not, they're not allowed to touch any, uh, any dead bodies or anything like that when they undertook a Nazarite vow. And she was to follow in obedience what the Lord was saying, that she would take those vows herself as her son would be a Nazarite for his whole life. Now, normally... It's number six, verses one to twelve. If you want to read up about the Nazarite vow and what it means, read number six, verses one to twelve. But it explains there in detail. But basically, it's no wine or similar drink, no grape juice, grapes, raisins. You're not allowed to cut your hair. No razor on your head until the end of the period of separation. You're not allowed near a dead body, for whatever purpose. So if your father, your mother, your sister, your brother passed away, you're not allowed to go near a dead body when you've taken that Nazarite vow, because you've consecrated yourself wholly unto the Lord Jesus. And that was what Samson's life was to be. But normally, it, it was a voluntary vow that men would take, or women would take, and it would normally be maybe for a week or, or possibly for a month, um, but that would be it. But Nazar Samson was to live that way for his whole life. That was the calling upon his life, that he would live his life from the womb till his death as a Nazarite. Incredible consecration to the Lord. 
And um, but it, it's not just a set of rules and regulations because sometimes we think this the Bible, you know, we're in danger of calling the Bible saying the Bible is the same, isn't it? Or oh, it's a whole list of what we must do and what we can't do. It was an outward evidence of a, an internal consecration to the Lord. And and I just want to challenge us because when we came to Jesus, he completely transformed our lives from the inside. We became a new creation in him. And from that point, our lives, he, he became saviour and lord of our lives. And we were we have consecrated our lives or we should be consecrating our lives day by day unto the Lord Jesus and seeking to live for him so that what people see brings glory unto the Lord and points people to the Lord Jesus. And that was Samson's calling. But that's all of our callings as Christians, that we live a life that brings glory to the Lord Jesus that we allow what he has begun by transforming us from within to be reflected out in the way that we love those that we come into contact with, in the joy that we have in our hearts as we live our lives for Jesus. Because we have tremendous joy with Jesus, don't we? We have an incredible hope in him, an incredible life in him that is nothing to do with the circumstances we're facing. It is just the joy of being in saved by his grace in fellowship with the living God and knowing that our lives are hidden in him and we are his eternally. We have a joy, we have a peace that passes understanding so that although sometimes circumstance is difficult, that fruit of the spirit of our life is that we can be at peace in spite of what's happening around us because we trust in the Lord Jesus and we know his hand is upon us and we could go through other other illustrations of it but our lives are to bring glory and honour to him let me just give you a couple of scriptures Colossians 3.17 says whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him that is our lives being reflecting Jesus to those around us it's his love being seen through us it if people are going to see Jesus today, they see it through you and me. They see it through us. And our lives are that testimony to him. And as we consecrate our lives to him, as we submit our lives to him, so he is able to work through us. And his, by his spirit, we will reflect him and bring glory to him. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 is a really blunt point. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. We were bought at a price, weren't we? The ultimate price was paid for our lives. Jesus, God's son, sinless lamb of God, died on the cross to pay the price for my sin and for your sin. There could have been no greater cost than the son of God laying down his life for us. You were bought at a price. We were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God. Consecrate your life day by day, moment by moment to him. If you mess up, confess it, receive his forgiveness and start walking again because God's forgotten it. When we've asked forgiveness, he gives it, he takes it away. We can start walking again. We can pull ourselves down and think, oh, what a wretch I am, how I mess up. But God has forgiven us 
And we need to receive that forgiveness and start walking forward with him because he's done it all for us. This is what happened in, in terms of the birth. This couple, I think, show tremendous faith. You know, verses 12 and 13. Um, Manoah said, back in Judges 13, now, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? And the angel of the Lord said, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Faith and obedience working together. Their faith, their trust in God. You've got to try and let your mind go a little bit here. The angel of the Lord meets this woman and tells her she's no longer going to be barren, she's going to have a son. She goes and tells her husband, and the husband prays, God, send that angel back again, just so that I can ask a bit more and we can find out a bit more about the purpose. The angel comes back and reaffirms what has been said, but also says, but your wife needs to live that life as well, live as a, as a Nazarite now from now on not just Samson when he's born. And they trust God. They believe God and what he says. This, this word is full of what God says, full of incredible promise and truth of God's love, of God's care, of how God will equip us, you know, how God will be with us, whatever we're facing, how God can turn a difficult situation into, a, into a, a situation that brings glory to his name. It's full of encouragement to us to trust him. When we read this story uh, in Samson, this is not just a story. This is God working out his plan and his purpose. And it's the same God who is interested in you and me and works in your life and in my life. And this is the environment that Samson was born into. He, brought, he was brought into an environment where his parents were godly parents who trusted God and who believed in God. And at the end of the chapter, verses 24 and 25, says, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the, the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. That begins sort of, that phrase means to shake him up. And, and work in his life. So the Samson had everything going for him. We have seen a, a miraculous birth to godly parents, a specific calling and purpose that God had on Samson's life. Samson was blessed of God as he grew up. I don't know if you've noticed, but none of the other judges had that said about them, that they were blessed of God. But Samson was blessed of God and the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. Here was a man with a calling, a purpose, with incredible potential to, bring, to serve God and to do a mighty work by God at work in his life. That's the, that's the background. We have a God of infinite love and personal interest in us who breaks into a situation and this young boy who grows into a man has every potential to be all that God wanted him to be. But if we read into chapter 14, things begin to change. And what we see in there, and I'll just give you a bit of an overview as we close, is that although all those things had happened, Samson was dominated by his own flesh. 
and his own desires. And so in verse 2, he says to his mum and dad, Mum, I've seen a woman in Timna of the daughters of the Philistines. Get her for me as a wife. In verse 3, he says, um, then his father said, well, his father and mother tried to get him to say, well, you're supposed to marry someone from, your, from Israel, not, not a foreigner. Can't, is there nobody amongst your own people that you, you could marry? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. That phrase, pleases me well, is the same, ver, is the same phrase as you get at the end of Judges in 21. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. She pleases me well, what is right in his own eyes. Samson was doing what was right in his own eyes. And he didn't follow the calling and the, the consecration that God had placed upon him. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. He lived a very lonely life. He, 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 in, in chapter 14, as you read it, he went down on his own to Timnah. Then he went down with his father and mother, but he walked on his own. And a lion came out to attack him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and, and he killed the lion with his bare hands. But he was walking alone. He was in a vineyard where he shouldn't be. He was a Nazarite. Nazarites were not allowed to drink wine or, or fruit of the fruit of the vine, but he was in a vineyard. He was in the wrong place, and a lion attacked him. What does 1 Peter 5 verse 8 say? The devil is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And there's real lessons to us in here. One, we're not to live this life alone, but we're to live it in fellowship with one another. Two, we need to be careful where we go. Stay clear of the places that God's told you not to go to. Stay clear of those things that might tempt you and cause you to fall, because you're opening a door for the enemy to come and attack you. But Samson didn't listen. And he went on. And, and, he, and if, you, if you read on, you see, more, you see more of the same. In verse 11, they had, they had a feast for him in, in anticipation of the wedding. And they, they brought in 30 companions from the Philistines because he didn't have any friends. He lived a solitary life. But, you know, one of the great blessings of the Christian life is fellowship amongst brothers and sisters and walking together in fellowship. And, you know, stay close to your Christian brothers and sisters Make sure you spend that time with them. Make sure you do, the thing, you do things with them and encourage one another. Build one another up in the things of God. Samson was on his own and he messed up. God had a specific purpose for him. And yet, as you read through, and I won't try and book into, move into anything to do with the future chapters, but he seemed to live a purposeless life rather than a purposeful life. Just going from one thing to another doing his own thing, rather than actually consecrating his life to God and becoming all that God wanted him to be. So as we close, I would just encourage you. God has called you for a purpose. Consecrate your life to him. Trust your life into his hands. Submit yourself to him. Do all to the glory of God. And day by day, trust him. He will never fail you. He will never let you down. Cling to his word. Hold fast to the promises of God's word because they are unchanging. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. I've gone on too long, but what an amazing thing it is that God just is so interested in our lives. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for these moments. I pray, Lord, that... Um, 
that you would speak and you would apply to each one of us. Lord, you know every one of our hearts. You know just where each one of us is at, Lord, and, 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 and what part of your word needs to find good ground in our hearts tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister that truth to us and that your word would find good ground in our hearts and that we would trust you and we would look to you and we'll go forward in you. Lord, we thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you that the God of all creation is intimately interested in our individual lives and that, Lord, we need fear nothing because we can look to you in all things and our days and our life are in your hands. And we praise you for that, Lord, and uh, we thank you for the many blessings that you pour out upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. And we take our offering in this final song. Thank you. 